One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in the second week of our sermon series, Stand. And this text we just read, wow, if you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb. Yikes. This text is harrowing. Most of us have never faced that consequence, but have you ever had a boss or maybe a teacher, a spouse, a parent, child, mentor, coach, somebody who seems to demand the impossible from you? Before becoming a pastor here, uh, I, I had a lot of jobs in the field of communications, everything from social media to AM radio. And one time, uh, I used to have a boss who uh, demanded the impossible from me. Uh, he made it very hard to bring innovative ideas to him, not that he would kill him. What I mean is, let's say I, you know, I go to him, I have this idea, um, and, and I'm trying to sell him on it, and he gets so excited, he's like, I love your idea for a new show, but instead of your three-month timeline on your $5,000 budget, I want it next week, and we'll do a launch day celebration with uh, pony rides and hot air balloons and an air show. And then I'm thinking, why don't I just keep my mouth shut, just learn to do my job in quietness? You might have had similar experiences or maybe far more painful ones. You don't know what to do. That's where these astrologers are. They can't believe what they've heard, so they try to reason with the king. Verse 7, they said again, Please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, If you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. Someone's yelling at you for no reason. A boss is going to fire you for situations beyond your control. Maybe a creditor is suddenly demanding repayment in full. So then you blow your top, and how does that normally work for you? Next verse. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked for such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree... Men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Now the king is so out of control, he wants to kill all the wise men, not just this small group of astrologers, but even advisors who hadn't been included in this conversation. And that includes Daniel and his three friends 
whom we met last week in Pastor Sam's sermon. Jewish teenagers who had been abducted when Babylon conquered their nation. Now, fortunately for Daniel and his friends, they were noble, uh, young, good-looking kids, wise beyond their years. And so instead of being killed or left to rot in jail, they were brought into the king's royal training program so they could become advisors to the king. Unfortunately for Daniel and his friends, the king now wants to kill all of his advisors. How will Daniel handle this situation? Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. As we saw last week, and as we'll continue to see in this series, Daniel is a wholehearted follower of God. He wants to be faithful to God in every situation, even when he doesn't understand what is happening or why. In every situation, including serving the king in this current job, Daniel somehow lives as if he trusts God in spite of what is happening to him. The writer Elizabeth Elliot writes about this kind of mindset. She says, This job has been given me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly. It is done for him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. The king grants Daniel some time. Daniel immediately does two things. First, he gathers his godly friends. Second, they pray. Next verse. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. There's no guarantee that God will answer this prayer in the way they hope. God's been saying no for two years. When we read these Bible stories, we can read a year's worth of history in just a few minutes, but these are real people. As Sam preached last week, probably between 13 and 16 years old, they were abducted from their home by a conquering army and taken to the enemy's capital. And now it's been two years. Imagine Pennsylvania conquers Indiana. Now, they've already conquered Kentucky and Ohio and Michigan and West Virginia. Now it's our turn. Pennsylvania sweep into this room. They kill most of us in here, but not you because you're the best and the brightest, so they take you to Harrisburg to serve the governor. Now, it's been two years. Everyone and everything you knew and loved, your entire life is gone. Many of your loved ones killed. The rest of them, you don't know if you'll ever see them again. You're separated from everything and everyone you ever knew. It's been two years. How often have you cried out to God for help? It's me every hour of every day. And for Daniel and his three friends, every time for two years, God has said no. And here they are 
and they need him. Once again, they're praying to God for help. Verse 9. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel isn't just praising him for answering this one prayer. After all, they're still in Harrisburg. But the answer to this prayer, the interpretation of the king's dream, gives Daniel a reason to live with confidence and depend on God as our loving father, savior, and sustainer, even when he tells us no. We get a hint of this in the way Daniel praises God when his prayer is answered. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. The dream revealed something to let Daniel know that God is in control. And this interpretation made him so happy that he burst out into praise. What was it? Daniel goes to the king. He says to the king, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream. Note Daniel's humility. He doesn't try to take credit himself. He gives it to God. He reveals that the dream was about a statue made up of different metals. The head was gold, chest and arms were silver, belly and thighs were bronze, the legs were iron, and the feet were a combination of iron and clay. Each descending metal is less valuable than the last. The iron is strong but would be weak when mixed with clay. The statue and metals reflect ideas that were known elsewhere in the ancient Near East. So, uh, the, you know, a montage of metals characterizing different kings or different kingdoms or different time periods. So it's not at all unusual that King Nebuchadnezzar would have dreamed about something like this, except for the end. Daniel says, as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay smashing them to bits. The whole statue is crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Daniel goes on to explain that these different metals, these different parts of the statue, uh, correspond to different kings and kingdoms who had come. Now, the first one was Nebuchadnezzar himself. Uh, the head of gold was Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. So, the king gets to be the head of gold. He's happy he's not going to execute Daniel. That's probably all he cares about. He kind of disappears from this story. Historians have debated and theologians have debated down through the years the identity of the next three kingdoms and kings that Daniel saw. So, we can't very well have a sermon series on the book of Daniel without putting a prophecy chart on the screen, right? Let's do it. All right. Four of you are very excited. Forty of you are freaking out. Uh, the rest of you are probably just wondering when we're going to get to the lion's den or King Nezer and the chocolate bunnies. That, that one is next week, but we're not going to use the VIV, the, the VeggieTales International version. All right, 
So, so this is a, 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 from a page in a, in a commentary on the book of Daniel by a theologian named Wendy Witter. Now, the squiggly line is just my highlighter. Pastor Jonah hates when I highlight like that. Um, probably wouldn't mind so much if it wasn't his book. Uh, <laughs> it's not his book. Just trying to settle the nerves because we're talking prophecy and all that. All right, so, so basically, uh, very smart theologians like Wendy Witter and many others, much smarter than me, maybe smarter than you, have debated down through the centuries which, which kingdoms are represented here. And there's two main views in uh, Christian scholarly circles. We call one the Greek view, which says that the last of the four kingdoms was Greece. Then there's the Roman view, which says the last of the four kingdoms was Rome. Uh, it somewhat depends on whether you think Medo-Persia is one empire or the Medes and the Persians were separate empires, regardless of which view you take. The main message, the main point that God, through Daniel, is getting across is that human kingdoms, all of them, not just these four, human kingdoms, all of them, no matter how impressive, will ultimately be destroyed by this rock. And the identity of the rock is revealed in verse 44. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. Hundreds of years later, in the most surprising way, God entered into our story as a baby in a manger. He grew. He taught us the way that life works best, and then he did something that no king could ever do, something much bigger than just conquering Babylon or Greece or Rome, empires that crumbled ages ago. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews says this in chapter 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. His church began with a few frightened men and a few women whom everyone said were crazy when they proclaimed, He is risen. This ragtag group of a despised minority grew into the largest force for social transformation that this world has ever seen. They found new life and they lived as new people. Not trapped in the same self-destructive, other destructive tendencies and patterns that had characterized and plagued their earlier lives. They found hope. They found love. They found grace, and they carried it to the world, and the world was changed. This means that wherever we are, whatever our daily tasks involve, the rock that tears down the kingdoms of this world is the ground beneath our feet. We can pray with confidence that he has, he is, and he will deliver us. So Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the American Confederacy, the drug dealer on the corner, predatory lenders, 
corporations that harm their workers or exploit consumers. Every ism, racism, sexism, fascism, they all have or they all will fall when the rock from heaven's mountain comes for them. Perhaps one day, history students will talk about America as a once great empire. But regardless, God's truth marches on. This is why the answer to Daniel's prayer is as good for us as it was for Daniel and his friends. They prayed a prayer for their time. But God gave an answer for all time. Now, you might, you might think, well, if I got a miracle like Daniel, if I could receive dreams and visions like Daniel, and if I could understand them like Daniel, then I could accept this. Well, Daniel received all that, but he still had more questions than answers. Remember, God had been telling him no for two long years before he revealed the king's dream. But let's skip to the end of this book, the end of the book of Daniel for a spoiler. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel is now elderly. He's outlasted several kings and even empires. Maybe he's wondering, when is that rock going to come that I saw when I was just a kid? An angel of the Lord gives him more clues. But even after a lifetime of dreams, visions, and miracles, Daniel writes this. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? Now Daniel will finally get his answer. Now the angel will say, okay, one more time. I'll Back up. Testing one, two. All right. Back up. I guess we're going into overtime or something. All right. Battery ran out. So, this is what the angel actually says. But he said, Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then... At the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. The reason that Daniel could stand firm was not because God always gave him answers. Daniel stood firm because he trusted God regardless of whether he got an answer, regardless of how things looked. Daniel trusted that a mighty stone was coming and it would tear down every stronghold, every false kingdom. The angel explicitly told Daniel that he wouldn't live to see it. One day, Daniel would need a miracle and that miracle would not come and death would win. But it would be a hollow victory because it would only bring Daniel rest and the assurance of resurrection. So Daniel could stay strong in a world of chaos, not because he had all the answers, but because he trusted the one who does. He could trust 
because God had given him foresight, the miraculous interpretation of a dream. We can trust because God has given us hindsight, the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus and the growth of his church, the miraculous, unprecedented growth of his church in spite of persecution and terror. So if you follow Jesus, if his spirit lives within you, if you know God as your father, then you can forget everything else I said this morning, but mark this down and never forget it. In this crazy, confusing, sometimes dangerous world, you won't always know what to do. But you can always trust who you know. God's people say it like this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You won't always find a Bible verse for every situation. There's not a verse that's necessarily going to tell you whether you should take that job or buy that house or go here or go there or, or subscribe to this particular treatment of medicine instead of that one. You won't find an answer written in the clouds or the stars. You won't always have a dream that tells you what to do. You won't always know what to do, but you can always trust who you know. And he loves hearing from you. So here's your Monday challenge. Actually, it's a Sunday challenge this time. Uh, when you walked in here, we handed you a bulletin, and on the inside of that bulletin, there was an insert, and it said on it, uh, I don't know what to do about, and then there's space for you to write something. Write something down, all of you. Uh, unless you always know what to do in every situation, you don't have to write it down if that's you, it, and please come and talk to me after it's over because we need you to preach next week. So, if that's not you, write something down in the card, something that you don't know what to do about. You, can, you don't have to put your name, so this is completely anonymous. You can be as vague as you want, or you can, be, uh, you can write as much as you have space for. And then before you step out of this room, when you go into the lobby, you'll see, I'm looking at it right now, a big a wooden box with a slot at the top. You can drop it in the box. Now, if you did not uh, take a bulletin because you look at the bulletin on the app, which I recommend. It's got a lot more information than we can fit on the printed bulletin. You'll notice on the bulletin in the app, there's a, a big button that says, Write Prayer Request. Just tap that, and you can type it in, and that'll get to us, too. Now, this Tuesday, all the men and women on staff will pray over all of these cards and everything that comes in online. Later Tuesday evening, all of the elders, staff and non-staff elders, will pray over these cards as well. And then on Wednesday, August 14th, at our night of prayer, right here in this room, 6.30 p.m., we'll pray over these cards one more time. We invite you all to that night of prayer. There's more details about that on the app, so check that out. We'll pray that you receive direction and guidance, but most of all, that you'll be able to trust that God is carrying you even when the way seems unclear because you know him as Father and he knows you as daughter or son. We won't always know what to do, but we can always trust who we know. A mighty rock was cut out of the great mountain of heaven. It's rolling towards 
the dark kingdoms below, gaining force and velocity. It rolls down halls of power where wrong passes for right. It bounds down streets where greed is law and life is cheap. It crashes into systems of injustice, big and small, and we would be terrified when we look into the darkness that is in our own hearts if we didn't know that this rock that was cleft from heaven's mountain is the rock of ages cleft for us. We hide ourselves in him as he places his spirit in us, saving us from wrath and making us pure. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this one, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. The rock that tears down the kingdoms of this world was willingly broken for you and me. Then Jesus took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come again. In just a moment, you'll come forward tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it into wine or juice as your conscience permits. The cups with wine will have strings of twine tied around them. And if you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them in this far corner over here, my left, your right. We'll also have two stations in the back half of the room. So those of you in the back half of the room can turn around and, and take communion right in front of the sound booth. If you're not a Christian, don't come forward and partake of communion because it symbolizes a reality, a, a deeper reality that you haven't accepted yet. Instead, I urge you to pray by yourself. Pray with someone around you. Pray with the Christian in your life to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior the one who covers our sin, changes our hearts and brings us into this only true kingdom. And then we can prepare you in the weeks to come to be baptized and begin partaking of communion with us. In this world, you'll continue to face situations where you won't know what to do, but you can trust who you know if you've come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for leading us here today. Father, we know you always lead us. We know you always hear us. We know you always love us, that you are for us. Father, we know that your kingdom is coming. It has come. It will come. And it smashes down every false kingdom, every system of oppression. And we know, Father, by all rights, we should be among those who are crushed under the weight of your justice. But Father, we thank you that you yourself have made a way through the blood of your son, Jesus, for us to be adopted by you as royal sons and daughters and brought into your kingdom, the only kingdom that lasts forever. We thank you for this. We praise you for this. Father, I ask that as everyone comes forward and partakes of the bread and the cup, that you will give us a fresh taste, a fresh vision for what you have done for us, what you are doing in our lives, what you are doing in this world, and what we know you will do. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who has not been brought into your kingdom, that you will continue to speak to them, 
to woo them, to show them your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and bring them into this family so that they too can be a part of the only kingdom that stands on the solid rock of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.